0: You're listening to an Airwave Media Podcast. There's a company out there, you might have seen videos of their products online, that makes furniture that converts from a bed to a desk and back again. Like an old-fashioned Murphy bed, but better. Because the items on your desk and shelves can stay right where they are when you pull the bed down. It's sleek, modern, space aged, and futuristic. And it was first invented by a black woman in the 19th century. My name's Moxie, and this is your brain on facts. Does Monday at the office feel like a storm? Not with Microsoft Copilot. That feeling when Copilot gets everyone up to speed instantly? It's sunny again. When Copilot simplifies complex data so your teams can act, that sun's shining on a beach. And when Copilot uncovers hidden insights, you're on that beach, with your people, and you find buried treasure. That's Microsoft Copilot. Learn more at microsoft.com slash AI for all. Right off the top, I want to say that this topic should not have been as difficult to research as it was. The inventions we're talking about are common, everyday things that make modern living what it is. You'd think that the inventors would therefore be household names. But they were black. And they were women. So, not a lot was written about them. So, if I start a new topic and skip right over the person's early life, it's because I couldn't find much more than their place and date of birth. As I record this episode, it's February. Those of us who are warmed by natural gas in our homes have a black woman to thank for that. One Alice Parker. When Parker patented her furnace in 1919, using natural gas to power a furnace was a revolutionary idea that conserved energy and paved the way for the central heating that we have today. Not a lot is known about Alice Parker's early life. This is a theme you will see repeated throughout the episode. We do know she was born in 1895 and grew up in Morristown, New Jersey, and she attended classes at the Howard University Academy in Washington, D.C. The Academy was a high school connected to Howard University, and in 1910, Parker earned a certificate with honors from the Academy. The concept of central heating had been around from before when Parker was born, but her design was unique because it used natural gas instead of coal or wood for fuel. Her design allowed cool air to be drawn into the furnace, then conveyed through a heat exchanger that delivered warm air through ducts to individual rooms in the house. Natural gas had been used at the time in industrial heating, but apparently no one had thought to make a scaled-down version for the home. Parker's single source of heat, centrally located, devoid of chopping, stacking, and carrying firewood or handling dusty coal, helped to provide central heating to millions of homes and businesses worldwide based on her design. Her invention also had better circulation of heat versus the standard fireplace thanks to the ductwork. To make it even better, Parker's system also allowed for different temperatures in different parts of the house. It was also safer than having a fire going in the fireplace unattended all night. In life, you have to take the bad with the good, and Parker's invention created some problems. It tended to be a teeny bit flammable. And by a teeny bit, I mean very. Any number of faults could, and would, lead to fires, up to and including the heating tank exploding. Parker's invention was improved upon by later scientists such as those in 1935, who created forced convection wall heaters that used a coal furnace, electric fans, and the ductwork. Even with various people and companies contributing to the designs over the decades, it's still easy to draw a line between Parker's central heat and thermostat to the one in your house today. Speaking of thermostats, in nudist households, do the dads still tell the kids to put on a sweater when they want to turn up the thermostat? These are the thoughts that kept me out of the really good schools. But it should come as no surprise that Parker did not and does not get the credit that she deserved for inventing something so integral to modern life. Just filing her patent was a remarkable milestone. 1919 was well before both the civil rights movement or women's liberation. Mary Beatrice Davidson Kenner, called Beatrice, was born in 1912 in Charlotte, North Carolina, into what can only be described as an inventing family. Her grandfather had invented a three light railroad signal and her father, a preacher by trade, had invented a sort of trouser press that fit into a suitcase to ensure that your pants were perfectly smooth when you arrived at your destination. Unfortunately for the family, he turned down a $20,000 offer to buy the rights to the product deciding instead to make and sell it himself. He would sell a grand total of one. But the bug that had bitten him had also bitten Beatrice and her sister Mildred. Beatrice had trouble sleeping as a child, because every morning the rusty hinge on the front door woke her up as her mother left for work. So she began to devise something that would automatically oil the hinge to keep it quiet. She was six years old at the time. While most little girls drew ponies, Beatrice drew new devices. When the family moved to Washington, D.C. when she was 12, Beatrice spent her spare time at the Patent and Trademark Office. She did well in high school and was accepted to Howard University, but had to drop out for want of funding. A career as an inventor wasn't really a possibility. Patents cost money, so she worked what job she could to support herself and her passion. Over the course of her life, Beatrice would invent a back scrubber that mounted to the shower wall, an improved toilet paper holder that ensured the end of the roll was always within reach, and a convertible top for the rumble seats that people used to have in cars. But what she's best well known for is the earliest sanitary napkin. Yes, we're talking about menstrual hygiene products. You can handle it. As a society, we're pretty hypocritical when it comes to blood. Wes Craven's entire body of work and the popularity of shows like American Horror Story and Spartacus make it abundantly clear that the general public doesn't have a problem with the sight of blood. Maybe when I'm done recording this, I'll track down the name of the ad man who decided that women should leak windshield washer fluid once a month instead. When World War II came, Beatrice went to work for the federal government, and in 1951 married a colleague, James Jabbo Kenner. By then it was the fifties, not a great time to be menstruating. Tampons had been invented in the thirties, but they sold about as well as double beds in the Vatican. They were thin on the ground in the areas where they were even there at all, and using them was considered indecent and unladylike. The typical solution to the week-long risk of bleeding on everything you own was to pin a cloth inside your knickers. That's why it used to be called being on the rag. These were uncomfortable, unreliable, had to be laundered, and could foment bacterial growth. In 1956, having saved aside enough money for the patent application, Beatrice submitted a patent for a device for supporting catamenial pads or sanitary napkins on the body of the wearer in a highly efficient and satisfactory manner. The patent diagram shows a belt that goes around the waist with two straps that clip to either end of a large, pillowy pad. The main advantage was that the pad would stay where it belonged. Beatrice later updated her invention with the addition of a moisture-proof napkin pocket, an attachment to go under the pad that made it less likely to leak through. This device solved a real problem, and companies were interested until they found out she was black one day I was contacted by a company that expressed an interest in marketing my ideas I was so jubilant she said I saw houses cars everything about to come my way a representative from the company drove to her house in Washington to meet her sorry to say when they found out I was black their interest dropped the representative went back to New York and informed me the company was no longer interested While women everywhere were enjoying the added freedom and peace of mind of the sanitary belt, at least until the stick-on-pad was invented in the 70s, Beatrice saw not one dime. But she did hold the most patents of any black woman inventor ever for a time, at five. Her sister Mildred, who was struck with multiple sclerosis at a young age, was the inspiration for one of Beatrice's inventions a tray and pockets that attached to Mildred's walker. Keeping up the family tradition, Mildred also invented, in her case, a children's board game that explored family genealogy called Family Tradition, which is cute as hell. Several editions would be made, including one in braille. Neither sister aimed to get rich with their inventions, which was just as well. But they did produce creations with the intention of improving the quality of life of people around them, and I'd like to say that they succeeded. Speaking of improving the quality of one's life, Thanks to everyone who boosted our social media signal with Facebook shares and Twitter retweets, like Eric, Richard, Nelson, The Most Stable Genius, Whale Tales, Beauty and Deceased, your podcast or mine, and the podcast's Interrupted Tales, Strange Animals, and Odd Dad Out, all of which are worth listening to. How did you do on the clues from last week? The pictures were a gas mask, a refrigerated truck, and donor blood. The answer was, of course, black inventors, in that case, male. If you're curious why the boys went first and the women had to wait, it was just a matter of which tab I clicked on first. Flip of a coin. Anyway, we did have a winner. The person who correctly guessed what the topic would be was Maria Reyes, who is going to receive some Your Brain on Fact logo stickers. Thanks also to Chrissy Pasky, apologies if I mispronounced your name, who recommended the show on Facebook, saying, Got tired of listening to music on my commute and found this podcast. Absolutely love it and sharing random facts I learn here with coworkers and friends. Thank you, Chrissy, and thank you for sharing the facts around. Because telling other people about a podcast you enjoy, even if you only tell one other person, is still the best way to help your favorite show out. And if you enjoy exchanging bonus facts, head on over to facebook.com groups slash Brainiac Break where you can post interesting tidbits that you find and where I put stuff that I find that doesn't fit with that week's topic. First, the bad news. Don't picture black female inventors as relics of the early 20th century. Women like Shirley Jackson are innovating even today. She is, among other things, the first African-American woman to earn a doctorate from MIT in any academic subject. Jackson was born in Washington, DC, to parents who put a lot of stock by education and encouraged her interest in science. At Roosevelt Senior High School, Jackson attended accelerated programs in both math and science and graduated as the valedictorian in 1964. When she began classes at MIT, she was one of fewer than 20 black students and the only one studying theoretical physics. With her Bachelor's of Science degree in hand, Jackson began postdoctoral research into subatomic particles and conducted research at a number of physics laboratories both in the US and in Europe she would be only the second black woman in America to earn a doctorate in physics. Dr. Jackson joined the Theoretical Physics Research Department at AT AT&T Bell Labs. I, for one, did not know that Bell Labs had a Theoretical Physics Research Department. Learn something new every day. In 1978, Dr. Jackson became part of the Scattering and Low-Energy Physics Research Department, of which I understand nothing moved to the Solid State and Quantum Physics Research Department, and completed a fellowship at CERN, the European Organization for Nuclear Research. You know, the place with the super collider that could create a black hole and alter the fabric of our existence. Or so people say. All I'm saying is, things have gotten weird since they turned it on. Now all that is well and good, but what has she done for me, you ask? Some more accessible ideas are the breakthroughs that she made, leading to inventions like a portable fax, touch-tone telephones, solar cells, fiber-optic cables, caller ID, and call waiting. Now, persons younger than myself may not be sufficiently impressed with these features, so follow me, if you will, into the theater of the mind. It's the 1970s. Disco is hot, bottoms are belled, and you're home from school, with your parents and siblings home as well, waiting for your crush to call. You gave them your phone number on a note in study hall, but they didn't give you theirs. The phone rings. Your heart leaps into your throat, and your palms are instantly sweaty. It's for your brother. You sternly warn him not to tie up the line, as you're waiting for a call, and you listen for him to yell, hang up, I've got it, from his room. He stays on the phone for an eternity. It doesn't ring again that night. Your crush probably thinks that you really don't want to talk to them after all and gave them the number as a prank. Because they tried to call, but all they got was a busy signal. Those were dark times indeed. If you had had call waiting, the phone would have beeped and your brother could have ended his call and given you yours. In theory, it depends on the brother. Anyway, call waiting and caller ID have made huge leaps forward in the usefulness of phones. They must have to have been carried over to cell phones unilaterally. Imagine if you actually had to answer a call to find out who it was. The horror. But back to Dr. Jackson. In 1995, she was appointed the first chair of the U.S. Nuclear Regulatory Commission by then-President Clinton, where she led international efforts to promote nuclear safety and established the International Nuclear Regulatory Association. Since none of us have died in a nuclear winter, I'm marking that one as another win for Dr. Jackson. She was also the first black woman elected to the National Academy of Engineering, president of the Association for the Advancement of Science, on the President's Council of Advisors on Science and Technology, has received 53 honorary doctorates, and since 1999 has served as the president of Rensselaer Polytechnic Institute, making her the highest-paid president of a private college. To say that she is a pioneer doesn't go far enough. Speaking of things going far, your support over at patreon.com yourbrainonfacts is about to go farther. It is special offer time again. Now through Leap Day, February 29th, Everyone who signs up at patreon.com yourbrainonfacts, regardless of their tier, or upgrades their current membership, gets a Cards Against Humanity-style expansion pack with white and black cards made up of facts that are too hot for TV, as it were, things that are too blue to include in the podcast. I'm also going to be changing the amounts of the tier, but I ran into a little snag of a hiccup. You can't actually change the price of a tier that has members on it. And that's good. That would keep someone from jacking up the price. It also prevents me from lowering it. So I need to create a $4 tier, move everyone over to it, and delete the $5 tier. Same thing with $8 tier versus $10 tier. So please elect for the cheaper option so I can then delete the more expensive one. And you're also going to be getting more for that money. Because from now on, all members, regardless of tier, will get the Patreon-exclusive show Spot the Lie, 80% Fascinating Facts, and 20% Tricky BS, as well as discount codes for our upcoming merch shop. So toss a coin to your podcaster and support the show at patreon.com slash yourbrainonfacts. The old adage for inventors is find a need and fill it. Marie von Britton Brown didn't have to go looking for a problem in need of a solution. She lived in it. In the mid-1960s, Brown felt increasingly uneasy in her neighborhood of Jamaica, Queens in New York. And the police department wasn't exactly falling over themselves to help. They tended to respond slowly, if at all. Brown worked long, late hours as a nurse, and her husband, an electronics technician, was often called away at night on his job. A knock at the door could be bone chilling. Brown wanted to know who was lurking around her home without having to go outside and see. So in 1966, she took matters into her own hands. She created the modern home security system. Brown designed a closed circuit system that would let her monitor visitors on a TV. If she saw a threat, she could use a panic button on the system to contact the police. Her patent describes a series of peepholes at various heights, each with a camera behind it. A radio-controlled wireless system would transfer the image to a monitor positioned somewhere in the residence. Next to the monitor, an intercom would let the person inside talk to the person outside without needing to open the door even a sliver. Speaking of the door, a remote control would allow her to lock or unlock the door from a safe distance. Now, smart homes, video doorbells, and other apps are a dime a dozen these days, but at that time, closed-circuit TV was only in use by the military. It was that caliber of technology. Admittedly, Brown did get some help from her technician husband, and his name is listed first on the patent. The Brown's application was impressive drawing on existing CCTV technology, which had been created by a German engineer in 1942 to observe Nazi V-2 rocket testing from a safe distance. Brown's security system brought CCTV use into the home. Three years after filing, Brown was awarded her patent. The New York Times reported the story a few days later. They also attributed the invention to Albert Brown and his wife Marie, continuing with, with the patented system, a woman alone in the house could alarm the neighborhood immediately by pressing a button, and installed in a doctor's office, it might prevent hold-ups by drug addicts. Though it doesn't look like the Browns pursued commercial opportunities for the device, their system inspired many versions of the home security systems we use today, whether single-family homes, apartment buildings, and small businesses. Beyond a simple alarm system, camera-based systems help with everything from personal safety to improved mail delivery. By 2013, more than a dozen inventors had cited the Brown patent as the basis for their own devices. And according to a 2016 New Scientist report, 100 million concealed closed-circuit cameras are now in operation worldwide. Brown's invention gained her well-deserved recognition, including an award from the National Scientists' Committee. Strangely though, despite the award, the now ubiquitous technology built on her idea, and the fact that she only passed away in 1999, no articles on Brown's invention said anything more about her life. Like, next to nothing. The only other detail was that Brown was the mother of two children, one of whom, Norma Brown, went on to also become a nurse and inventor. Want to know how much I found out about Norma? Again, almost nothing. This isn't a symptom. It's the problem. And this is triply annoying because Norma has multiple patents, including one for an anti-rape device. Now, those persons of a sensitive constitution may wish to skip forward sixty seconds in three, two, one. The patent describes the female security device is designed to defend and protect a woman against rape. It is placed within the vaginal cavity of a female to protect and minimize physical damage caused by sexual intercourse. The device is able to retrieve evidence of rape, and provide evidence for identifying a perpetrator. This is done by using a needle to obtain a penile tissue sample, and to cause penile tissue irritation, and by obtaining a semen sample. It also has pressure-sensitive sensors that are connected to a microcomputer activated by vaginal muscle contraction indicative of penile penetration. Optionally, the sensor may be hooked up to an auditory recorder to record all sounds occurring during sexual intercourse. I will now play soothing music to fill out 60 seconds. Welcome back. Norma Brown also patented a combination tampon and sanitary napkin, which seemed to be the latter just attached to the center of the former. A device that could alert rescuers to your position and your body temperature if you've been buried by an avalanche. A disposable adhesive beverage cover to keep stuff out of your drink. A device to add to your bra to deal with underboob sweat. This we need. A ladder with storage compartments, a safety walker for babies, sensors for shoes that monitor the condition of the feet for people with neuropathy, a Christmas tree stand that could put out a fire, and something called interactive furniture for dieters. And that's where we run out of ideas, at least for today. If you have a small apartment, but you need both a desk and a bed, Sarah Good had the solution for you. Born into slavery in 1855, Good was freed at the end of the Civil War married a carpenter, and had six children, of whom three survived to adulthood. Most of their customers were working-class people in tiny apartments. Good invented a folding cabinet bed that looked and functioned like a roll-top desk and had built-in storage space. When Good received her patent for the bed in 1885, she was the first Black American woman to do so. Remember, you can always find the script for the episode as well as the research sources at yourbrainonfacts.com. Thanks for spending part of your day with me. Do you love history but hate when it's stuffy and boring? Well, look no further and join me, Katie Charlewood, your friend the neighborhood social scientist and reader of books.